Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Legends, our exclusive Chiefs Radio Conversation is brought to you by Century Roofing. Trust the pillars of strength. Trust Kansas City's hometown roofing team, Century Roofing. And by Quad Power Products, your one-stop shop for hydraulic equipment and repair. Quad Power Products at quadfluidpower.com. Here again is the host of Legends, Dan Israel. Last hour, Willie talked about grappling with teammate Curly Culp, who just happened to be the 1967 NCAA heavyweight wrestling champion, an experience he still hasn't forgotten. Bobby Bell had his own collision with Culp. Well, sort of. Do you remember when Marvin Upshaw came? So him and Curly were roommates, you know, and one day we practiced and stuff, you know, Curly like that. He had a 56 Chevy, hopped up and all blown up. And we park out in front of the stadium now, you know, we used to park out there. He told me, he said, hey, man, I got me in that 56 out there, man. He's fast, quick, you know. He wants, he likes to show off, you know. And I said, where is it? He said, outside. He said, we'll show it to you when I get out. I said, okay. I knew. And when I said, oh, man, let's hurry up and get out there. Curly's out there with his 56. He likes to show off, you know. And I had a... A uh, white Mark IV. I'm sitting out there this way, and Curly's, I ran out to see him. His 56 was going that way, on that side where the pavilion is, going mm-hmm. running. And I'm parked this way. I said, oh, I hit the front door. I look, oh, he's going that way. He went and running out there and jumped in the car. <laughs> he took off. I said, look at that crazy guy, man. And I said, no, nah, I'm okay. Just like that, you know. And the guy that I was right halfway out the walkway, I hear him come back. <laughs> back of my car. He's oh, going, no. oh, he creamed oh, no. it, man. Oh, no. Curly go, oh, man. Oh, man. He kind of got away from me. He wasn't used to being behind you, Bobby. That's what he was just Holy being in front crap. of you. I mean, he hit me, and I didn't have about 600 miles on the car. Oh, no. I said, Curly, oh, man, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I mean, he, for years, man, we, we, it was something there. Him and Marvin, I call him. Yeah, Marvin Upshaw, well, he came here. He, they was roommate. Yeah. The Super Bowl year in 69, playing the 70 bowl game, Super Bowl. Many of us on offense, when we saw that Curly Culp and Buck Buchanan playing our tackles, I said, I, I don't know how anyone ever plays them in our offensive line. We had to go against them every day, and we didn't scrimmage, but there was just a great sight to see, and two great players and two great human beings. And um, we always felt on offense was that we don't fumble or make it difficult. The defense will shut them down, and those two guys were really, really key to that besides our great line back in core. We always talk about the 69 defense, but how good was that offensive line? In well, we had a great offensive line. Jim Tyre and... Ed Buddy. Ed Buddy and, and Mo Mormon and, and Dave Hill. Dave Hill. EJ was actually hanging in there. Huh? EJ was actually hanging in there in the middle. He was the center. Yeah. You know? And he was he was hurt by then. Yeah. But he yeah. Just, and and we ran the ball a lot and, and we threw enough to keep you honest and, and uh, but, but with Otis and and uh, Gloucester and so forth, 
that could hurt you too. Yeah. But um, our defense was the key to it, and offense was we had to be confident, and and, and we weren't we're not we weren't uh, we weren't chump changed by a long shot. But um, that was a, a dream defensive team that we had. But we offensively, our offensive line play and all, we could our, we could play with anyone. Wasn't our band is a tremendous blocking tight end? A, gr- a blocking great blocking tight end. What made him so good? Oh my gosh! I told Fred, you know, he was. Uh, I mean, in practice, you know, we train at camp, you know. I said, I tell him, I said, hey, Fred, um, uh, you know, you know, but, button your chin stripe, you know. He goes, well, what's that? I said, I mean, I, I like to get that feel, man. I'm going to make you all pro, man. You just keep on hitting me, you know. So Fred Fred used to say, okay, man, all right. So Fred is the one, man, tight end, you know. I said, give me that look, man. Bing, hit him, man. Come on. He said, bring it on, man. And that's what kind of, oh, my gosh, tough type. And then, you know, he got hurt. He had that one he lost eye an bad, eye, right? lost an eye. Him and Lenny had to go out and pass the ball. He said, because they thought he couldn't play anymore. They start playing catch five feet apart, I think. They barely lolling yeah. it to him. He had to learn how to, that comes in a certain way, you know. He couldn't see it, you know. So Lenny used to go out there, out there on the 435 and uh, state line, out there somewhere. No, the school. Where that school? Norton. Uh, Holmes, I think it is. It was a school there. They would go out there and throw the ball, pass, pass, pass. It got him back playing ball. I mean, not only do you lose one side of vision, you lose your depth perception. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He learned to turn his head to and kept the vision Catch balanced. That Unbelievable. Way. Another iconic piece of history behind your team was Municipal Stadium. Both team benches on the same side of the field. That was pretty unique. Lenny used to talk about how the fans could walk right up to the benches. They'd be right next to you guys. Tell me about Municipal Stadium. It was electric. Oh, yeah. Electric. I remember going, as a rookie, going there. And, <laughs> and you got to remember, I played in the L.A. Coliseum with 105,000 people. Then come this municipal stadium, I'm going, what's this place? And, and it's packed. It's not only up, but it's an old building and, yeah. and, the, and the structure and all. And I'm saying, what, just what is this all about? And then got there, it was electric. Oh yeah, it was electric with with uh, Tony DeBartolo playing his music, and then the uh, chief. What was the the, the, the pack? The, the Wolf Pack. The Wolf Pack. I'm sorry, the Wolf Pack. Yeah. And then then you had the um, the young kids there, the Wolf Pack, and the Huddle, it, the huddle Club. The Huddle Club. The Huddle Club. It was it was electric, and it better. Won. The best thing about that stadium was the was the field. It George, was electric. George Toma. George Toma. It was like a he would come to me before a game and said, do you like the field? I said, it is fast, fast, fast. Right. And I love it, George. <laughs> yeah. It was um, a great place to play. That's unbelievable, man. It, Both teams on the same side. How unique is that? I mean, yeah. And then the bleachies behind there, you know, and the, everybody out there, you know, during a cold time, you know, guy started, you got a bottle, they bring your own liquor, you know, <laughs> they just pass it down the line there. But there and you could walk off, you know, I mean, you come off the field, you know, you could smell that, <laughs> that alcohol coming. People yelling, you know. It's great. It was unbelievable, you know. That's unreal, man. The fans, they bought into it. And the reason they bought into it is because the way Lamar and Coach Stram you know, made all the players go out and meet the fans. Yeah. They had us They had us in the community. You were plugged into it. You know? Yeah, we plugged up. It, it was unbelievable, man. I think we got 50 bucks to go out and show the highlight film and go to every group. Did you have to carry the projector, Tony? <laughs> I think Lee Darrow did that for Lee us. Lee Darrow? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, it, was, uh, it was different, man. You got to know all about it. It was the fans, you know? Yeah. 
We made a lot of appearances around around town, and showing you know, the highlight film and answering questions. And you can go out to eat, you know, the clubs and stuff like that. You know, the fan they were just super nice to everybody. This year, the 50th anniversary of Arrowhead Stadium. Your thoughts on the transition from municipal to Arrowhead? Yeah, well, they, they would experiment with a lot of stuff. Even even the uh, cement with the artificial turf and all that stuff. Is that the worst invention in football? That, that was, hey man, you talking about hurt? But I do remember. Hank was on the other side of the field, remember? Yes. Because that was the a sun, better, better camera angle on him <laughs> on the television. Remember the first year we were on the far yeah, side of the field? Yeah, we played Miami. We sitting over first, there. The first game. Yeah, the first game. The hottest day probably. The hottest, you know, and the cameras. That's why he, Coach Tram said, where is the cameras at? They said, on that side. He said, we want to be on this side. I, wait a minute. We come out of the thing. We got to go across the field, you know. We did that how many? One, one game? It was the first game of That's the year. That's how he changed it. After the Miami disaster from the year before. But it actually had opened up at the Governor's Cup against the exhibition game against the Cardinals. Yeah. That was the middle of August. But the first regular season game was against the, the Dolphins, Dolphins again. And I think it was about close to 100 degrees, probably 135 on the field. They, they were laughing at us. And oh, they, were, they, were, they were 20 degrees cooler. <laughs> But I also think that we sold, if I remember right, this, the stadium seated almost 78,000 in the yes, beginning. Did, yes. And I think that stopped the season ticket sales at about 72,000. The city was... Uh, Pretty amazing. It was on fire when they came to the came to the Chiefs. Well, they, for, for years, they had, what, 20,000 people on a waiting list to get season tickets. But it's a wonderful stadium. I mean... It's, they always talk yeah. about the, the wins in there. For you, is that a... Did you just master that? Or no, that- no, I didn't say a master, but it, it was, I, I knew it was northerly winds. Somehow the wind would be against you both ways kicking. Really? I don't know how, but southerly wind, it was crossway. No, but that was the same for both. I mean, that was yeah, part but was of your, the... You knew that, the other team didn't. No, because later, when when when, uh, uh, when, when Marv Levy got there, they were able to close that door to the yeah, tunnel. right. <laughs> but what am I going to say to Hank? A little windy, they're going to close the door. He would look at me and say, kick the guy. <laughs> we, I couldn't complain about the wind or the field or anything like that. That wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. We're closing in on the big question to our panel. That's coming up later in this final hour. But next, we'll talk with someone who knew each of these men and studied the history they had written. Still to come on Legends. Lloyd Wells was a guy in Houston who was very connected. He was getting him ready and prepared to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is before the draft has even started. And he goes to try to find Otis, and Otis has disappeared. You're listening to Legends with Dan Israel, an exclusive Chiefs radio conversation. It's presented in part by Century Roofing. Trust the pillars of strength. Trust Kansas City's hometown roofing team, Century Roofing. By Quad Power Products, your one-stop shop for hydraulic equipment and repair. Quad Power Products at quadfluidpower.com. Century Roofing, your hometown roofing team, is proud to celebrate the life of Lynn Dawson. When choosing a roofing company, time is money, so choose the best. Century Roofing has been voted winner for Best Roofing Company in Johnson County. You'll get quick and reliable service with outstanding technical expertise. We house all materials on-site, so there's no unexpected delays. Be confident you made the right choice. Schedule an estimate from the best. KC-based and female-owned. Online at CenturyRoofingKC.com. Century Roofing, trust the pillars of strength. 
I'm Steve Hedgepeth with Quad Power Products. People know us for excellent customer service for their hydraulic hoses, couplers, adapters, and accessories. We also offer hydraulic cylinder service, where besides resealing, we actually recondition your cylinder by honing and polishing all sealing surfaces. We also bench test each repair before handing it back to you. All of that with a full one-year warranty. Come to Quad Power Products in South Kansas City on Hickman Mills Drive. Find us on the web at quadfluidpower.com. You're listening to Legends with Dan Israel, an exclusive Chiefs Radio conversation. Legends is an idea that was born years ago over a lunch one day with our next guest. But as it so often happens, the demands of the grinding weekly schedule in the National Football League became paramount to getting everyone together. But after the loss of Jim Lynch and Lynn Dawson earlier this year, I felt a renewed sense of importance in archiving the experiences and thoughts of these men before time could take any more of them from us. One guy who spent most of his time covering the Chiefs is former Chiefs radio host Bob Gretz. Bob, you spent most of your adult life covering this team. Throughout that time, you became a student of the Kansas City Chiefs franchise. Along the way, you also get to know our panelists well. But before I get your thoughts on them, I want to set the stage a little. For decades, you were one of the individuals responsible for building the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You were a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. And with that right came the responsibility for judging the careers of players. And it's a responsibility you didn't take lightly. I watched you for years bring stacks of research on the plane. You'd analyze data. You'd discuss and argue with other voters about guys' careers and, you know, this guy's career versus that guy's stats. But ultimately, your vote came down to a very human summation of all that input. Well, it's it's such a subjective thing, Dan. I mean, we can all look at stats, but... As as you well know, as you you are a historian of the game as well, you've been in broadcasting it for a long time. You know, you go back to the 1960s. There aren't stats for tackles. There yeah. aren't stats for sacks. There's not the overwhelming number of statistical things when you look at guys from that era. All I tried to get down to when I made a decision on what I thought on a player was in his era. Where did he rank? I never compared guys from the 60s and 70s to guys from the 80s and 90s. That's not fair. It's a different game. I tried to compare them within their own eras. And uh, obviously, the time I spent on that committee, which was 17 years, I think it was, I didn't always agree with all the votes of guys that went in and guys didn't agree with my opinion. But overall, while I think it's a flawed system, uh, I don't think there's a better one. And it's just a tough thing. And the thing I've always told everybody, let's throw out some of the recent expansion teams. Let's just take the, let's say 28 franchises that have been around for multiple decades. Each one of them has a half dozen players they think should be in the Hall of Fame. Do the math. And you're talking about a giant pool mm-hmm. of people who believe they're good enough. And I'm not here telling you they're not, but why they've got in some, why guys get in sometimes, I don't know. Why guys don't get in, I don't know either. And I was in the room helping to make the decision. It should be tough to get into there. Absolutely. It is not the Hall of Very Good. And sometimes it seems like it's turned into that. It's the Hall of Fame. That's the best of the best. Actually, and, and this will rile up some people, I think they put in too many players every year. I mean, now it's up to seven, and then you add on coaches and contributors, and, and that that's fine. Those people need recognition. But uh, in all the meetings I sat in on, 
Dan, I can tell you there were maybe three or four guys who were up for consideration who were dead solid locks. Uh, I remember the presentation on Joe Montana. Each voter for each team, there's a voter in each city for the teams, and there's some at-large voters. But if a player going in on, on the team that you were around is going in, you have to make a presentation on them. And the guy from San Francisco stood up and said, Joe Montana, quarterback, San Francisco 49ers. And then he sat down. <laughs> and that was it. That's all that needed to be said, right? <laughs> that same thing with Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor, New York Giants, linebacker. And the guy sat down. I mean, there's people you look at and you know yeah. they're Hall of Famers. Yeah, Chiefs fans are looking. I mean, Chiefs fans don't have to be historians to know that they're they're watching Hall of Famers now. Yeah, they're watching a quarterback that will go to the Hall of Fame. They're watching a tight end that will go to the Hall of Fame. That's a lock. That's a dead solid lock at this point in time. And it's the other guys, not the you know maybe the guys that aren't in the headlines quite as much. But that some that's when it's tough when you're trying to decide who belongs in this hallowed hall. And I miss those discussions we used to have on the back porch of some hotel on a Saturday night before an away game. Bob, earlier, each of the guys kind of told us their own draft stories, but I remember you telling me about Otis Taylor and how he became a chief. Well, nobody, maybe in the history, Dan, of draft drafting in football has a more unusual and incredible story than, than Otis Taylor and how he ended up being a Kansas City Chief. And the very short version is that in the days when he was coming out to Prairie View, the AFL and the NFL were at loggerheads banging into each other trying to sign talent. And one thing that the NFL did when they kept losing guys to the AFL, they came up with this term called babysitters. And they got ex-players, businessmen, ex-executives together in each city. And when they identified a player as being one that their teams would want, they assigned a babysitter to him. <laughs> now, what they didn't know, especially with the case of Otis, is that Hank Stram had already got had a babysitter on his payroll, and that was Lloyd Wells. He was not officially a member of the Chiefs organization at that time. He would be. He would become one of the first black scouts on an, on an NFL, AFL payroll. But uh, Lloyd Wells was in, a guy in Houston who was very connected. That's where Otis was from. Prairie View was in that area. Uh, he was getting him ready and prepared to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is before the draft has even started. And he goes to try to find Otis, and Otis has disappeared. The Dallas babysitters had taken him to a hotel out of Houston up to Dallas, along with his teammate, Seth Cartwright. And in fact, they changed hotels every night <laughs> because Gosh. they were worried about somebody poaching them. And somehow Lloyd Wells, well, Lloyd Wells tells the story that uh, he called <laughs> he called Otis's mother who gave him a name of a girlfriend, and the girlfriend knew exactly what hotel he was in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Lloyd Wells goes to the hotel. He has a card. He was a photographer, uh, kind of a side job uh, for a black newspaper in uh, Houston. So he had a press card. And so he presented this to these uh, big, um, burly security people that were blocking the way to the room. And anyway, it all goes, this uh, it keeps going on and on. And eventually, 
He gets word to Otis and finds out Otis wants out. He doesn't want to be there. Can you get us out? And uh, through uh, chicanery and uh, deception, he gets Seth Cartwright and Otis Taylor out of that motel, takes them to Fort Worth and puts them in another motel, moves them one night more to another, and then he's trying to get them on an airplane to fly to Kansas City. So he can be basically signed before the draft is even held. And uh, what happened was he was worried that if he went to the Dallas, to Love Field at that time, that they would have scouts looking for him. So he he went back to Fort Worth and flew out of Fort Worth. I think they landed in like Oklahoma City and Wichita before they got to uh, Kansas City. But that's how Otis Taylor became a Kansas City Chief. It's like a movie script, people crawling out of windows. When you when you think about what the draft is today, it doesn't seem no, that's <laughs> right. made up. Yeah, that's made up. Who made that up? That was a script meeting in Hollywood, and uh, no, that's a true story. And, and Otis has talked. I talked to Otis about it many years ago. I talked to Lloyd Wells about it many years ago. Lloyd had a little bit of Bill Grigsby in him. His story changed about every time <laughs> I talked to him, but the basics are the same. He was able to steal him away from the babysitters. And got him to uh, Kansas City, where he signed with the Chiefs. You know, Bob, we started, we'll end this show with a direct tribute to to our close friend, colleague Lynn Dawson. Your thoughts on Lenny as a player, a broadcaster, really as a man we both cherished. Well, he was one of the finest men I met in 40-plus years of hanging around the NFL. And that is because while everybody viewed him as a star, a football star, a broadcasting star, a TV star, he didn't. He never carried himself in that manner. And when you see and meet someone like that, who we all know is an icon in Kansas City, an icon of the major proportions, when you find somebody humble enough to accept that fact and live the life, but not run around with a, you know, light, with a giant spotlight on mm-hmm. themselves, uh, that's when you know you have met the best of the best. And uh, as a player... Uh, smart, effective, fundamentally sound. And, and you know what? I think I can say this with some certainty. He didn't, He well, first of all, what people need to remember is Len was a pro football player and he was a professional broadcaster. Yeah. And not like some guys, players who go into the business. He started at the bottom rung uh, with a recorder going around talking to his teammates. He knew the business. But the one thing that he definitely wanted was to be prepared. Remember, we started doing those Friday morning phone calls, like preparation for the game. And Len was the, he was the biggest proponent of it. He wanted more information because he wanted to be prepared for the game. And one of the things that that does when you prepare and you have the skill that a guy like Len has is when everything goes to blows up, and some calm voice needs to be there and <laughs> and step in and keep things, keep the ship going right down the lane where it's supposed to. A guy like Len, I guarantee he wasn't comfortable doing it, but he was skilled enough that he could do it. And he did it many, many times. Uh, oh, my goodness. All the times he did. But he just, I loved his inquisitiveness about everything related to the broadcast. That's, I, I think that's one of the reasons he loved being around you because you were such a key part in how the broadcast changed technically. 
and how that changed everything that we did. And Len was, I just always saw, he was very interested in everything and how it worked. He was always seeking more information. I loved when we were in the Coliseum and we had an equipment failure and Nate Wetmore, our engineer, and I had the component out and we were soldering on it and there was smoke coming up from the molten solder. And <laughs> Lynn comes in and he, and he puts his reading glasses on so he can see what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. He wanted to yeah. know if he could help. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, not, not, not only did he want to know if he could help, but he just wanted to know. Yeah, right. right. I mean, and that's, you know, and I mean, believe me, you and, uh, and I have worked with a lot of people in broadcasting that don't give a, you know what, <laughs> yes. about how things work. But that wasn't, Len was always inquisitive and always wanted to know. And that, I think, is that interest is what made him not only a good broadcaster, but I think it also made him a good quarterback. Yeah, there's never going to be another one like him. Mm-mm. Len was one of the greatest uh, people I've met. And, and and I say people, not player, not coach, but people. And uh, God, I miss him. I miss him. Yeah, me too. Thank you, buddy. Not just for your time today, but you know, years of great work on Chiefs Radio and for your support of me. Hey, there's nobody better to support. And uh, listen, I, you know, Time on Chiefs Radio, time around the Chiefs. Man, there were lots of ups and downs, man. I saw some of the best football I saw in my life, and I saw some of the worst (laughs) football that I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, I look back on it now, and it's, you know, I tell people this all the time. I never worked a day in my life. Thanks to Bob for taking time to join us on Legends. Over the past three hours, I've asked a number of questions, but there's still one that remains. Plus, we'll look back one more time at the life and times of Kansas City's most iconic legend, Lynn Dawson. They promise you don't want to miss it. After the break on Legends. All right, final question here. This is a little bit of a loaded one. Well, if it's loaded, then don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the player you believe should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that isn't? Hi, I'm Steve Hetchpath with Quad Power Products, your trusted source for hydraulics, pneumatics, standard and metric fittings and adapters, and industrial hose. Plus, we have a full-service cylinder repair shop. Come see us on Hickman Mills Drive in South Kansas City, or call and speak with one of our knowledgeable sales staff at 816-965-8925. Find us on the web at quadfluidpower.com. Quad Power Products. We've been solving our customers' fluid power problems over 25 years. Century Roofing, your hometown roofing team, is proud to celebrate the life of Lynn Dawson. When choosing a roofing company, time is money, so choose the best. Century Roofing has been voted winner for Best Roofing Company in Johnson County. You'll get quick and reliable service with outstanding technical expertise. We house all materials on-site, so there's no unexpected delays. Be confident you made the right choice. Schedule an estimate from the best. KC-based and female-owned. Online at CenturyRoofingKC.com. Century Roofing, trust the pillars of strength. Now, back to our exclusive Chiefs radio special. You're listening to Legends on the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Once again, here's your host, Dan Israel. As I mentioned, the 1969 team put an astonishing number of players into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Starting with the first in 1972, Chiefs founder, Lamar Hunt. In 1983, linebacker Bobby Bell. 1986, linebacker Willie Lanier. 1987, quarterback Lynn Dawson. In 1990, defensive tackle Buck Buchanan. In 1991, kicker Jan Stenerud. In 2003, head coach Hank Stram. In 2008, cornerback Emmett Thomas. And in 2019, defensive back Johnny Robinson. 
a total of nine players from a single squad, and an argument could be made for the number 10 being Chief Scout Bobby Beathard, who was inducted into Canton in 2018. Though Beathard left the Chiefs in 1967, he was a part of the drafting and acquisition of talent that would become the 1969 team. The last question to my panel of legends, who should be number 11? All right, final question here. This is a little bit of a loaded one. Well, if it's loaded, then don't do it. <laughs> Who's the player you believe should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that isn't? Otis. Yeah. Otis. That's an easy question. Yeah. Absolutely. Otis. I concur. Now the way things are is that, yeah, man, God, they, all they do is pass the ball. Yeah. And they watch the receiver. All these receivers that, yeah, they're catching so many balls and how many yards. And, and we ran the ball quite a bit. But if you, let me ask you this. If you were to put one AFL team on the field for one single game, who would the two receivers be? Otis would have to be one of them. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Right? If you want to pick one wide receiver for one game, I bet you he might be the first choice. Yeah, you know, you have Lance Allworth. Lance Allworth. Yeah. When Lance went in, you know, after that, that Otis should have went right in, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, him, Otis and, and Lance were, had almost the same uh, statement, you know. They but he didn't, his lifetime stats, because we ran the ball a lot, and he, he was hurt some. But if he were to pick a guy for one game, there wouldn't be any question. No question. Hmm. Yeah. I think they should grandfather him in some way. I think, Willie, you've been on that board, right? Yeah, I have. The senior. Senior uh, boy, I've been on it, too. It was only one senior. Last year, it was one senior that could be could have the vote to get to the final to be voted upon. So there's a new executive director, Jim Porter, and I was talking to him and he was advising that they should at least go to two senior candidates. And my point to him is you should go to, go to three because if you don't have more seniors having an opportunity to be voted upon, all of them be dead before they have a chance to get in. <laughs> yeah. No, this is no, just logic, true. all right? So yeah. um, my voice was one of the voices, but they this year moved it to three seniors that can be considered for induction and how long they'll last, I'm not sure, but at least they moved the number and how that affects it. Well, he won't for next year because I've already seen uh, the announcement for the three people from the senior committee that will be up for uh, election. And they still have to get the 80%, you know, once they uh, 80%, yeah. The only problem here is that they're going, they're going statistics so much now. Yeah. And they, sh they should be talking about uh, when the leaks started and forming uh, an AFL competing against the NFL. And who are those people who made the AFL as big as it was? And, and Otis has to be there. But, but look at the plays they made. Shea Stadium was one thing. How yeah. about the Oakland Raiders when he catches that ball on the sideline? Well, then he throws out of the end zone. And that they beat Oakland to go to the Super Bowl. And they play in the Super Bowl. It was typical, Otis. He did this all the time. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's rough because I've been there for 39 years. You know, and, and they asked me, and I always he put his name down, you know put his name down. And I was on a couple of times they had to vote, you know, and still didn't make it, you know. And Will has been on it too, so. He was on the list this year for the no, first so, time. Yeah, but, but he, they took they the still, next step. They still ended up with three yeah. uh, more votes than he did to get on this senior list for next the year. Problem, yeah. The problem is that as going on, time goes on, the new people don't remember Otis. Yeah, that's the, that's right. the thing. They don't remember, you know. If you bring it up to them, they go, Oh, this, I don't remember. And now they throw the football so goddamn yeah, much. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But he, 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 he was, can you he imagine was. what 
he would be doing today no. if he was in, in the, the way now, the game was played today yeah. you couldn't no one could hold him <laughs> yeah. I, I would say this you you can look at people and look at their statistics uh, but Otis would get in the game and, and totally influence the game yeah change it it yeah. just it's a change it you had to reckon with Otis yeah. and other people they got statistics but did they change the tempo or the change the the, the uh, whole composition the game of the game. Plan. The game oh, he was unbelievable. You you had to rotate to him. Yeah. You could play, and you saw in the in Super Bowl when you go one on one with him, he could go eighty yards yeah. on. Yeah. You don't. You don't. You had to double team. Yes. How, t- how tall was that? Was six two? Six two, six three. About yeah. two eight, two eighteen. Ran a four five four four. Boy, that's fast. For and the stride that yeah. had. I mean, it's so elegant too. Yeah. And, so, and strong. Uh, like I said, I. I would run, and I, 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 he and I had a sense. If I jump outside, will Otis be there? And the answer was yes. Wow. Yeah. And not many receivers in, in any era could block like Otis. Mm. So if you talk about a receiver, he was a total receiver. He was unbelievable. Yeah, I've been preaching about him for, for 40, 50 years now. Besides these guys, Otis is the greatest player ever played. Well, it doesn't surprise me that each of you unwaveringly said Otis Taylor nor does it surprise me that your quarterback, Otis's quarterback, felt the exact same way. Thank you guys for taking time to s- sit and talk about old times, but specifically about Lenny. You can't talk enough about him. He, <laughs> he was one of my absolute heroes. I admired the man. And he was an intense... They didn't show it. So I remember, no, of course, I was so new to football, but we would lose the game, and some would throw the helmets in the corners. He would just took there, so we were not that good today. But, you know, we, we lost. Well, next week or whatever, but but he, he was just calm and competitive as hell, and just didn't didn't kind of show it. They didn't scream and yell and no. didn't talk much to the team to speak up. Didn't say much of anything. But he was a tough. He was a really tough-minded guy. He's a guy that you can depend on. He's there for you. And what I liked about him also is that after football, got to know him, got to do things with him. We did appearances together, travel together. And this, he, so, it, he liked, he was not, he was kind of a loner in some way. He didn't yeah, have oh, that yeah. many friends around. But then Walter White, so if it, if it, we got lunch down at the... Uh, Raphael. Uh, no, Raphael. Ra- Raphael. Raphael yeah. And Lenny, you know, even a few years ago, he would just love to sit there. And he talked he'd talk about how he played at Notre at Purdue and basketball. He just loved to be around the guys, but he, he never initiated that, you know. You know? Yeah. He wasn't, he sit around with a whole bunch of people. He... He was pretty quiet then, but he but he loved to be around the former guys when he had the opportunity to. He loved you guys. I mean, the way he talked about you, you could tell just there was just a, a level of affection there. And he was the unquestioned leader on the offense, too. He, yeah. he was in command. His ability. Well, he was uh, capable, com- capable of everything. That's the, huh? <laughs> he was capable of everything. Both of you were. Yeah, but the thing is, though, we knew each other, you know, what we could do, what we can't do, you know. And what, you know, it's kind of way the same way with the offense, you know. That's why the guys come back and say, hey, man, this guy's giving me trouble. You know, let's do this and that. Change up, you know. The game is totally different, man, now. I have sound of Lenny talking about you guys. And I said, tell me about Mike Garrett. He said, give him the football. I said, tell me about Bobby Bell. There's not anything he can't do on the football field. I said, tell me about Jan Stenrud. God, what a talent that guy was. Unbelievable. Surefoot confident tell me about willie lanier he said simply the best middle linebacker the game is ever going to see 
and it's, it's just the way he felt about you guys. And and uh, so I appreciate you getting together today. I know I've taken a lot of your time, but uh, means a lot. Appreciate that. It means a lot to us too. Yeah, reminisce about Lenny. I want to say this that we talked about some great defensive personnel on the Chiefs and. Offensively, we didn't talk about some of the great players we had on there, but, but the beauty of, of the Chiefs was that our figurehead was Linda Dawson, and he played it perfectly where he kept complimenting the great defensive side with the great offensive side, and a very straightforward, humble guy that represented 22 players that could play with anybody, and I really appreciate that. Well said. Well said. Well said. I cannot thank Willie, Bobby, Jan, and Mike enough for making time in their schedules to remember and celebrate their old teammates. NFL locker rooms can be a varied group of individuals from diverse backgrounds with completely different values and family experiences. But the love that each of these men have for their fellow teammates is more than friendship. It was forged from the hard work alongside one another and forever cemented by achieving the one thing none of them could do without the other, becoming a world champion. To Mike Garrett, Jan Stinnerud, Bobby Bell, and Willie Lanier, thank you for your time today and for your candid honesty. Each of you are heroes. Thanks to Bob Gretz for his contribution and perspective. And of course, we appreciate our sponsors, Century Roofing and Quad Power Products. Also, thanks to Chiefs Radio Assistant Producer Eric Townsend and our Emmy Award-winning engineer Nate Wetmore for helping make this happen. To Odyssey, Kansas City, and 610 Sports Radio. To Brian Johnston and Steven Spector for their support and assistance. The great people at Odyssey are my teammates, and as we pass Thanksgiving, I'm reminded of how thankful I am for each of them. Finally, thanks to Chiefs fans for a career of listening to Chiefs Radio. A happy and safe holiday to all of you. As we close, we'll take one more look back at the life and times of Hall of Fame quarterback Lynn Dawson. On a January day in New Orleans, the AFL champion Kansas City Chiefs were 13-point underdogs in their Super Bowl IV meeting with the NFL champs, the Minnesota Vikings. It was the conclusion to the 1969 pro football season, and the Chiefs completed it that day with a dominating 23-7 victory, led by the game's most valuable player, Lynn Dawson. Go ahead, Mike, Lenny Dawson. Lenny Dawson leads the field. I can visualize it. When Hank took me out with a minute and a half or two minutes to go, whatever it was in the in the ball game, we had it wrapped up and just it was just something like, you know. A weight come off my shoulders, my whole body, you know, because, geez, we finally did it. You know, we talk about it every year of winning the biggest prize there is, and that's the Super Bowl, but we actually accomplished that thing. The 34-year-old quarterback had reached the top of the football world, a spot that seemed improbable just eight years earlier when his career was stymied due to inactivity. Lynn's climb to the pinnacle of his sport became one of the game's legendary tales. The Lynn Dawson story began in the small Ohio burg of Alliance, just east of Canton, the town considered the birthplace of professional football. 
Lynn excelled at Alliance High School, becoming a sought-after recruit by many college programs. Well, I, I'm from Ohio, and Ohio State was a big football factory back in those days, and they had a guy named Woody Hayes that was the coach. Woody Hayes uh, got a hold of me, and he was recruiting me, and he said, I'll tell you what you do. He says, we're going to teach you the option offense. And he says, well, you get under the center, and you've got three backs behind you. He said, you take the snap, step into the line of scrimmage. Now, that got my attention. <laughs> right there because that was all the problems were up from the inside the, the line of scrimmage there but anyway he says and you have a back that's going to dive straight ahead you either hand it to him or you fake it to him and continue on down the line of scrimmage and we're going to option off of the defensive end and i said what do you mean option well if he goes after you then you pitch it to the trailing back come around there and if it looks like uh, he's getting the trailing back then you run the football I wasn't the smartest guy in the block, but I, I said to myself, I'm going to let the defensive end, that big hungry guy, the nasty guy, make the decision as to who he's going to hit. I know who he's going to hit. It's going to be me. And so that's what I just said. I think I'm going to West Lafayette, Indiana, where Purdue is located. It was Purdue where he connected with a young assistant coach named Hank Stram. Freshmen did not play any games when I was in college at Purdue University, so we were the fodder for the, the varsity, let them beat up on us. But the first opportunity was a sophomore. We were playing Missouri, and I was not the starting quarterback. I was a backup quarterback because the number one quarterback was the starting quarterback from the year before. Well, here comes Missouri, and so I get into the game. In the first half, I ended up throwing four touchdown passes in that game, and now I became the starting quarterback the rest of my career at Purdue University. So I've always had Missouri to thank for a lot of the success that I had in college football. Lynn was a three-year starter for the Boilermakers and led the Big Ten Conference in passing his senior year. But unbeknown to Lynn, his plan to sell insurance after graduation would be altered after receiving a phone call from the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers had made him the fifth selection in the 1957 draft. Lynn was headed to the NFL. The Steelers veteran coach duo of Buddy Parker and Bobby Lane left Lynn with little playing time in his first three seasons. Then in 1960, Lynn was traded to the Cleveland Browns, where he appeared in just nine games over the next two seasons. After five years, his professional football career had ground to a halt. But in 1962, a casual encounter with an old friend would change the course of Lynn's life. Hank Stram was the coach of the Dallas Texans, and he was at a coaches meeting in Pittsburgh where I was living at the time, and we had breakfast together, and he could see that I wasn't really happy with what was going on in my life professionally because I wasn't getting an opportunity to play. And he, at that time, says, listen, if you ever get a release from the National Football League, give me a call. And I got to thinking about that, and I had spent five years in the National Football League and really hadn't played. And so I thought, it's now or never. So I went to Paul Brown and asked him to put me on waivers. He put me on waivers in the summertime. You got to bear in mind that back in those days, in June, all the coaches took the month off before going to training camp. So I went through waivers. Later on, I talked to some coaches from other teams. They said, we didn't even know you were on waivers. We, if we knew that, we would have picked you up. But what happened was it gave me an opportunity to compete for a job with the Dallas Texans. And fortunately, things worked out very well. It took time for Lynn to knock off the rust accumulated in five years on the NFL sidelines. But one observer was impressed, the Texans owner, Lamar Hunt. After watching his new passer in the preseason, 
Hunt personally made the only trade of his career, sending the Texans' previous starting quarterback, Cotton Davidson, to Oakland for the Raiders' first-round selection in the 1963 AFL Draft. And Hunt's faith in Dawson was rewarded. Teams now have played more than 77 minutes today of hard, bruising football. Quarterback sneak of Dawson, he angles slightly to the middle of the field to get that ball in position. And now if Dallas puts this field goal, they will win the American League Championship. Len Dawson will hold at the Dallas bench. The big rush is on, the kick is up, the kick is good! Dallas is the champion! Dallas wins it on a 24-yard field goal by Tommy Booker. The Texans were the 1962 AFL champions, and Lynn Dawson was named the league's most valuable player. But just months after the title game, change would once again come in the form of a phone call. Chiefs founder, Lamar Hunt. I got a call from the mayor of Kansas City, and he inquired about the possibility of moving the team to Kansas City. I had been to Kansas City and attended a weekend baseball series. The Yankees and A's were playing, and all three games were sold out, and it was a very impressive thing to me. Lynn and the Texans would move to Kansas City. There would be three AFL championships, two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl victory, and seven all-star Pro Bowl appearances for Lynn qualifications that would earn him a return to Ohio and enshrinement in Canton's Pro Football Hall of Fame. In honor, he was informed of in 1987 while filming an episode of HBO's Inside the NFL. The announcement by co-host Nick Boynicotti revealed a rare moment of emotion from a man whose calm demeanor earned him the nickname Lenny the Cool. We're going out to, to tape the show and my wife was with me and she said, I'll stay at, at the hotel in case they, they call. She came up to me and, and whispered in my ear, let me make the Hall of Fame. I said, don't tell him. I said, we'll break it on the show. We just found out, of course, that uh, you were named to the NFL Football Hall of Fame. And it was an unbelievable feeling. Uh, I can't tell you how the show ended or anything else, you know, because my mind was somewhere else at that particular time. When I say good things happen to good people, they really mean it when I talk about you. Congratulations, my man. I hate to get choked up on the the last show, but uh, I really appreciate that. Lynn's second career broadcasting began even while he was the starting quarterback for the Chiefs. I would uh, practice out at the Swope Park area. We'd get through about 5 o'clock. I'd quickly get in and shower, get dressed, and go down to uh, Channel 9 to do the 6 o'clock sports. Then I'd go home and have dinner with my family, drive back down at the station, do the 10 o'clock show, and go back home. Lynn Dawson became a fixture on Kansas City Television on the nightly news at 6 and 10 o'clock. After his retirement as a player in 1975, he would become a color commentator for NBC and eventually 33 years as the color commentator for the Chiefs radio network. But it was a small cable TV upstart that would make his face and voice familiar to football fans in every corner of the country. The HBO show came about. This was a a new cable company. And so they approached me and said, would you be interested in this? I said, well, I'd be interested in it, but I'm under contract to NBC. I have to ask them. They said, why don't you ask them? Well, when I presented it to NBC, they said, well, that's cable. You know, that's nothing. Go ahead. Yeah, enjoy it. Go, go do it. HBO's Inside the NFL became one of the longest-running programs in cable television history. It would change the way fans watched and consumed National Football League games. And as one of the two hosts for 24 seasons, his Emmy Award-winning work would lead to enshrinement in Canton once again. This time as a broadcaster. But you don't get up here by yourself. You don't do it alone. You need an awful lot of help. 
And I have been very, very fortunate. I am the seventh son of a seventh son. And all my life they've said, hey, that's good luck. Well, I am here to attest that that is definitely very, very fortunate. Lynn's storybook life was not easily written. He battled adversity both personally and professionally. But despite the difficulties, he would achieve nearly every accolade possible from his two industries. And through it all, he remained rooted in his adopted home of Kansas City. The people of Kansas City, for those of you who don't know those folks, is some kind of town. Lamar Hunt was a savior for an awful lot of us. I know he was for me. He is always going to be very special in my thoughts. The epilogue for this hero would be yet another chapter of adversity. Lynn would battle Alzheimer's and possibly the effects of a career of concussions suffered playing the sport he loved so dearly. He leaves behind a wife he adored, two grown children, and an entire world of friends and fans. Those that will not forget what this Hall of Fame legend did both on and off the field. Remembering our teammate, our colleague, our friend, Leonard Ray Dawson. You've been listening to Legends, an exclusive presentation of the Chiefs Radio Network. Legends was brought to you by Century Roofing. Trust the pillars of strength. Trust Kansas City's hometown roofing team, Century Roofing. And by Quad Power Products, your one-stop shop for hydraulic equipment and repair. Quad Power Products at quadfluidpower.com. This broadcast is copyrighted by Odyssey Kansas City. All rights to this broadcast are reserved, and any rebroadcast, recording, transmission, posting, dissemination, or other use of this broadcast without the express written consent of Odyssey is prohibited. Legends has been an exclusive presentation of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network on the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.